0: Welcome to the 6AM Run podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a a. 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the 6AM Run podcast. I'm your host, Mark Pazan. Always a pleasure to have you being a part of the show. I hope you had a great summer. We are into fall now. It is October. Um, pumpkin spice everywhere. I don't know how I feel about that, but I hope everybody is ready. And as always, before we get into the guests, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run, 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. By the way, as you heard Hami say in the last episode, one of the last episodes, is that something big is coming Black Friday around Thanksgiving time. So look out for that. Remember, join our Facebook group to meet some of the greatest running individuals you will ever meet. So on the show today... We have Maria Mays, that is M-A-Y-E-S. If you're looking her up, she is a well-being coach, but I'm not gonna do the intro. You know how it is. Maria, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go and introduce yourself for our audience?
1: Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you to the audience for just giving us this opportunity to chat a little bit on, on camera and on record here. So I uh, yes, I'm a a well-being coach as well as a meditation teacher, and I teach Ayurvedic lifestyle and I mentor on that. And so that's basically um, with a mission of helping others liberate themselves from the effects of chronic stress and anxiety. So to step out of fear-based living and to step out of um, chronic symptoms that are a result of unmanaged stress, which cause over eighty percent of you know known disease. And so. Yeah, I spend my time teaching and coaching and mentoring, and I'm really grateful to be able to um, do my Dharma work, do my purpose work, so I really appreciate being here, Mark.
0: And you also are a host of a podcast, correct?
1: I am, so I'm I'm newly uh, adorned with the host title. I love
0: this name, (laughs) I love this name, please say it.
1: Yeah, my my uh, podcast is called Chakras and Chardonnay. Yes, and yes. it is uh, intended to be fun, right? Um, because we take ourselves way too seriously. Um, and the intention behind it is to serve up well-being tips to those who are looking to step into more consciousness within their consumption habits, which might include alcohol. Um, so it's directed at wine lovers, um, and with that, I share a little bit of my journey. Of going from self-medicating my anxiety with wine to now being able to mindfully enjoy it after developing a really sacred meditation practice, which has changed pretty much everything in my life.
0: So, and we don't have to stay on this point, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people, and you know, shout out to AA and the people who have been saved by AA. Um, but quitting something that has been a part of your life just apps and saying, I can't touch it again. I can't be around it again. I can't even imagine like the pressure that puts on one to, to, to continually not partake in something that was basically a, an essential part of your life in your head. So, I don't I don't know if you that's I don't know if that's a conversation you've had or something you had or something you thought about, but that's for you to have something now that you said that was a possibly toxic part of your life that you can mindfully do now. Like is is, is that how did you find out that that works for you?
1: Yeah. Well, I think there there's so many different levels when it comes to self-medication, right? And there's to, so many different substances, whether it be food or alcohol or drugs or work or or media for that case, right? Whatever we're using to numb, to take ourselves out of that pain that we're feeling and into a little relief, right? And so, um, you know, I do work with folks who are in recovery and have um, folks in my immediate family who are in recovery and some that haven't made it there yet. And so I'm not here to say that this is the approach for everyone. Um, some of us are not able to step into this kind of, uh, mindful relationship with the substance that they used to use to numb. Some of us have to be completely, um, free of it, right. And abstain from it. And who knows, maybe I'll be there one day, but I do believe that. And it really depends on the level of the addiction, right? It depends on the support. There's so many things that go into play. Um, for me personally, I was able through my practice of meditation to cultivate enough self-awareness to really know my triggers, right, and know know my habits. And just like uh, any habit, right? So, like um, if you've read, let's say, um, James Clear's book *Atomic Habits*, or um, there is *Unwinding Anxiety* by Dr. Judge Brewer. That's another. Another one that talks to this. In the Ayurvedic philosophy, we look at it as uh, karma, right? So karma, pretty well-known term in the English language. It's actually a Sanskrit term that translates to action. And so we get caught up in these loops of taking an action, like I did, just kind of autopilot, getting home from a long day of work. You know, maybe the house is a mess. Maybe the kids are cranky, whatever. Just automatically go into the wine fridge pouring myself a glass of wine. It wasn't a bottle of wine every night. It was a glass. Sometimes, yeah, there was there was maybe a full bottle. But uh, the habit I fell into was just pouring a glass of wine as I'm then trying to figure out what to make for dinner, etc. And so for a lot of people, they would say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're just having a glass of wine, right? But there was nothing conscious about it. It was just complete autopilot where I took that action. That created an experience for me, right? I noticed, oh, it took the edge off. I'm more relaxed now. And then that created a desire to do it all over again, right? So I became on this autopilot journey. And in stepping out of that, um, first, I had to cultivate enough self-awareness to realize I was doing it. So in order to become conscious, we really have to realize that we're unconscious, right? Uh, That's with everything in life. And so I was able to, through developing a real deep meditation practice now, Um, come back to it in a way where I, I combined my mindfulness teachings, um, with the, because I've been in the wine industry also for um, a decade with the, uh, five S's a sommelier would use to, you know, taste wine into a process that I use personally. And then I started teaching workshops on it and it, and it starts with becoming present. You know, I mean, we go from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other. And the example I just shared of my life, I wasn't fully present for my kids as I'm coming through the door, pouring a glass of wine and getting ready. And then they're, you know, maybe I'm surface level present, but was I there in true deep presence? And was I there in true deep presence with that glass of wine I was about to consume or the bag of chips or the tub of ice cream or whatever it might be? So I think there's such power in us cultivating the ability to become present, but that's a skill. And so that's one of the skills that I teach. So I would say um, to kind of put a bow on that, It's not necessarily something for all of us if we are at a point in our journey where we need, uh, you know, skilled professional help and maybe a detox program, but it is something we all have the power to do: is to become fully present and conscious about our choices, and um, that takes a lot of discipline.
0: So there's there's three things that that really stuck out to me in that, and the the first, of course, was you know, talking about the intent of what we do and um yeah i think that go it it, it, how you said it I, i wish i could say it verbatim but it goes to play with almost like even any even in a fitness routine like i can tell you right now there were times before i got serious before i did things with purpose or intent where i just went for a run or i went to the gym and i didn't feel any better afterwards. I had been there for an hour. I'd ran for 45 minutes, whatever, and and it was wasn't until like I started focusing on how my feet hit the ground or how my breathing was or how I like it it was done with intent. And then you had mentioned about yeah it's having that glass of wine is not a bad thing. But I think what's a good thing to take from what you said is understanding the unconscious and the conscience or the subconscious, because you and I are not thinking about breathing right now. You and I are not thinking about blinking our eyes, that that's what happens automatically. And that's what that glass of wine was like, this is not bringing me anything. It's literally something I do like breathing. And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm, let's be honest. Like wine is delicious. Like why not do, do it with intent? (laughs) Let's, let's be honest about it. Right. Let's, let's, let's say that. And then, you know, just making sure that every, and you you mentioned this beginning, like, or even at the end, like this is, this was your journey. You don't know if you will be that person that has to go cold turkey. You don't know if you'll be that person that has to quit altogether. But I think trying to put everybody into a box um will lead to so many unsuccessful attempts at at trying to help people and i think that is that's just amazing takeaways on on you know on your part so but let's kind of get into i i can tell by the just the 10 minutes we've been conversing is that you you definitely do not lack empathy you definitely do not lack compassion but how do you get into, like what made you do what you do now? Like what made, were you an overly empathetic child? Did you have parents who were ultra caring? Did you always want to help others? Like what made you get into this field?
1: Well, good question. Um, I was always a very sensitive, I'm a highly sensitive person. So I have an extremely sensitive nervous system. And I actually have um, a dysfunctional one in that my um, system is not wired like your average bear. And so, as a child, and you know, from toddler age, about two years, um, I started having episodes where I would lose consciousness and I would seize. And I it was initially diagnosed as brain loss seizures, and then at um, about 40 years later, <laughs> was re-diagnosed as uh, an extreme form of neurocardiogenic syncope. And so. Um, where it's the nervous system going haywire. My blood pressure drops, my heart goes into tachycardia, and then it'll slow down or actually pause. Um, And so that created in me at an early age uh, uh, a bit of a withdrawal, right? Um, Because I never knew when these episodes were going to come on. It also created within me a a pretty deep-seated anxiety that I felt through my bones, even though I would have never said that you know, 40 years ago, Um, but there was this always being on alert. So in that, you know, we were talking about um, the autonomic nervous system when you were talking about the breathing, the blinking eyes, all these things that we don't have to think about, right? That's controlled by our autonomic nervous system. And so I was in the sympathetic, which is our mobilized, right? We're looking for threats. We're ready to roll, um, which is a state that most of us are in chronically right now. Um, due to the pace of the world and the stresses of the world. So because of that, I found myself really kind of, I think, tapping into a deeper level of listening and noticing, in the form of wanting to protect myself, wanting to, you know, it, is it going to happen? Is it going to be on the playground, which sometimes it was, right? So is it, where? when is it going to happen next? I never knew. And so because of that, I became always on the lookout. And so transition, if we kind of fast forward into current day, I had um, started leveraging breath work as a means to manage at the time, anxiety that we thought was triggering my seizures. Well, turns out it was a nervous system dysfunction, and so that same tool of breath work can allow me to regulate my heart rate and my blood pressure, and so I use it for both um, for both of those items, but um, or those ailments. And so I went through a process of learning how to use the breath to manage the anxiety, and then all of a sudden, the resulting symptom or which was the the seizure at the time, occurred less, right? And so um, that started me down the path. Then it was, you know, I'd been on on and off anticonvulsants for years. I'd been on antidepressants. I'd been on anti-anxiety meds. And I was just so tired of what those did to my system. My system was burnt out from the pharmaceuticals. And I wanted to... um, be free of them. And so I, you know, it's like, you know, you open a little window and a little fresh air comes in. You're like, Ooh, I want to step all the way outside. And so that's what I did. I went on a, a journey that over the course of the next decade, just through a variety of teachings, I started to, okay, I'm going to get my yoga certification. And then I started teaching yoga on the side, but I was still caught up in my software career at the time. And then, um, a few other, you know, big life, uh, happenings occurred and, and you know, little nudges would push me a little further. Okay, I'm going to get certified in meditation. I'm going to become a breath coach, all these different things. And, and fast forward to 2020, um, you know, the universe gave me a little bit more of a push when I was laid off and had to lay off my entire team. And people around me in my sphere of influence were just, you know, falling apart at the seams, being concerned that they were going to get laid off. And, you know, in this real state of fear which rightfully so was a very difficult time for all of us. But I wasn't succumbing to that because I had spent so much time developing this lifestyle where I would liberated myself from that chronic anxiety and was just resting in trust. And, and a lot of it was based on my breath work and meditation practice and my nutrition and all the things. Uh, so I decided at that point, if not now, when? Everybody kept asking me, how, are you de- how come you're dealing with this so well? I'm falling apart. I'm like, well... You know, first thing I do when I wake up is I meditate. You know, I, I, I take the time to reconnect with my truth, which is not what the world's telling me. The world's telling me I should be scared. The world's telling me I need to outsource my health. The world's telling me I need this product, this fix, this thing. But if I quiet that noise by turning myself, turning towards myself and turning inward and getting silent and connecting with my higher truth, then then the truth you know, reveals itself that I am safe. It is okay. I do have the power uh, to really take care of myself and my health mentally and physically. So that was the pivot. I,
0: and I love all that because, you know, the one thing I, I def, I mean, there's plenty of things, but the one thing I want to kind of dive into now is, is that, 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 that wake up that early morning that you talk about, I wake up and I meditate and, For a person who is a huge mental health advocate, a person who is a huge burnout, you know, let's talk about a stress advocate. The one thing I never, ever learned how to do correctly is meditate. Like my – and I've tried – listen, like I know it's going to take more work on my end and more purpose and intent on my end. I understand that part. But my – I have such – an ADHD brain where I'll sit down and silence my brain and thoughts gets louder than any, like I could be in a room full of a thousand conversations and I can focus on one of them, but put me in a silent room and all those conversations are in my head. So for those per- people who are kind of like, cause I would love to wake up and 15 minutes, meditate 10 minutes, 30, whatever the amount of time. One, I want to ask you, How long you meditate or does it it vary to did you have to train yourself to get there? And and how can others kind of get to the point where they can find time in their day to meditate correctly?
1: Okay, I'm going to start by just uh, offering, you know, an observation that, you know, when you were talking about how you stepped into running with intention and the, the footsteps that what you're describing is meditation in movement form right and so that methodical that that i got a visual and a full sensory experience in you describing that part of your running and so i just want to acknowledge the fact that meditation comes in so many different forms and running is certainly one um, especially when you come out with that intentional and sacredness right um so makes me want to go out and run tomorrow morning. Let's see. <laughs> That's
0: that, my job is done. My job. Is
1: done. Uh, so, um, but so for me, it is something that I was a, a slow learner. I mean, I started trying the first when I first started trying to meditate. Um, I would fall asleep. It was after a nervous breakdown. I think I was I was starting to listen to the Oprah and Deepak uh, meditations that was out in about 2013. And I was just at a point in my life where I was kind of coming out of this full, full block, right? I mean, body, mind, spirit hit the wall. Um, And I knew I wanted to get better. I knew there was something that always drew me to this idea of meditation, but I would listen to the guided meditations and halfway into, you know, the second sentence of Deepak's voice, I'd be plump out. And so, one, if you find yourself like that, falling asleep, you're tired. You're just tired. So just allow it, right? So especially if you're in a supine, a laying down position. Um, So I tried so many different styles over the years. And for me... It was really, it, it was about a decade of, it, well, maybe a little less than a decade of a journey of finding something that really was the the style that works. So for me, it's a combination of using a mantra, which I'll, I'll share shortly, and the breath to quiet the monkey, which is in full-out circus mode in my mind. So what you described in terms of the voices in the head, that's so, so common. And most of us um, today in 2023 are experiencing that the, majority of the world, right? And some of us if we're wound pretty tight, if we're type A personality, if we're go go go, uh doing doing doing, which I um I have a tendency to be. Um it's even more of a challenge. And so one of my teachers helped me get physically comfortable, which was a game changer. In that You know, we have this visual of being in this perfect lotus pose, right, for our meditations. The reality is, if you're sitting on the floor, or if you're sitting in an office chair like we are right now, chances are your lower back is compressed because you're kind of rounding forward because the chair has a dip in it. Or if you're sitting cross-legged on the floor, you're going to have compression on that spine and it has a dip in it. Now, I had a herniation, right, on my... Uh, lowest lumbar uh, vertebrae and my uh, SI. And as a result, it was just too painful. And then I also tend to carry a lot of neck and shoulder tension, which frankly, everyone in the universe right now does because of the way we walk around with these, this 45 degree angle and the amount of additional pressure it puts on those tiny neck muscles. And so what I learned is through working this with this particular teacher is I don't have to look like that. I can be seated up on a, a cushion, right, so that my hips raise higher than my knees, which allows that back to then go from a compression to more of a natural S curve. Um, that takes pressure off the low back so that I feel a little bit more comfortable for that extended time. And then I raise my shoulders up by putting a pillows underneath my my arms. So that it takes some of the weight off here. So getting physically comfortable is key for anybody looking to start a meditation practice and honoring that what it looks like for you can be completely different than what it looks like for your neighbor. Um, Along those same lines, then learning how to get more relaxed so that you can enter those deeper states of meditation. And with that, in my experience, the breath is the most powerful tool we have. And so just by lengthening the inhale and lengthening the exhale, if we just do that even for five breaths. um, to a five second count, consider the coherent breath, that's going to take you from a sympathetic state of the nervous system into the parasympathetic state. So I start my, my, my practice personally with doing a little neck and shoulder release, getting myself comfortable, deepening my breath cycle. And then I pull in what's called a mantra. And so, um, mantra, people are typically familiar with that term in terms of, Oh, my personal mantra is I am powerful. Right. And so, That has a very particular meaning, right? I am powerful. But to use these Sanskrit mantras, which are a little different in that they're used for the vibrational quality of the term and there is no particular meaning to it. So if I say, you know, green apple, you're going to immediately get a visual. You're going to get a story around the apple. You're going to think of your mom's apple pie, maybe. Maybe that's just me. Um, You're going to maybe get the scent. You know, we create all these stories as humans. But if it's one of these terms that let's say, um, is a mantra like LAM, for example, L-A-M is one. There's a vibrational quality to that. As I say the word LAM, you don't know what that word means, or maybe you do. So there's no particular meaning associated with it. And so what that does, it takes us out of the thinking mind and brings us back to that space in between the thoughts, or what we would refer to Deepak calls the gap. And so I leverage mantras in my personal practice to take that mind. So if you think about it, you can use the breath as that. You can just use you know your awareness to witness the thought come in like a cloud and then having it go by. There's all sorts of different techniques. For me personally, leveraging the mantra has been the game changer because the second a troubleshooting item comes up, the to-do list, the, oh, I forgot to pick up the dry clean, whatever it is. Coming back to that mantra will take you back to that place of stillness. And then before you know it, you've entered that gap and come out of it deeply restored. So um, the question of or one of the questions that I didn't answer in that is is how long. So typically my personal practice is 25 to 30 minutes in the morning. But that's not I don't get that in every day. That's when I don't. So I teach um, a uh, yoga class at 630 in the morning. And on those days, I typically have a shorter practice because I'm teaching so early. So I'll do, let's say, a 10-minute practice. And then um, and then when days where just shit hits the fan, right, and you wake up late or whatever happens, if I don't get it in first thing in the morning, I'm very intentional about carving out time then later in the day. Because I can tell you on the days where I've missed my meditation, my kids know, my husband knows. Everybody knows. Right. So um, it's like anything. Right. It's it's having compassion and grace for ourselves and having that next day to do again. Right. That's the beauty. It's just pure potential with every minute that we get in this lifetime. We can choose what we want to do. And when we when we miss that ball because we're a little overtired and overslept or what have you, then we just pick up the ball when we can. Right.
0: So I, I appreciate you going in to, you know, meditating and, and helping with that, helping others with that. You had to mention yoga. And anybody who listened to this show before knows my relationship with yoga. Um, I, I've done yoga exactly once in my life. And I have never <laughs> sweat so much from standing still ever. Like, <laughs> and so I, I have so much respect for not only people who do yoga, but people who teach it. Um And uh, it's just something that I, I don't get me wrong. I, I think I would like to do it. I just I I tell you what I had. I'm not going to say a bad experience. I'm like, man, it's been five minutes. Like, why am I sweating so much right now? Um, so, but we don't have to get into that because people have heard enough <laughs> about Mark and his yoga. Um, but again, yoga is a great stress reliever and in breathing is a stress reliever. The kind of thing I wanted to ask you about in regard to stress, cause a lot of the work, let's be honest, a lot of the work you do, I don't want to say it revolves around stress, but it can have, it can have lasting effects on how we, um, cope with our stress so I think a lot of people don't understand that that not only is stress a part of our human lives but there is good there's good stress like there's there's two different types of stresses out there but let's talk about the fact that stress is unique like what stresses you might not stress me so your coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. might be different so but with the work that you do there are the common stressors. Of course, there's that work-life balance where it's like, I have to work so much. There is, you know, you, you talked about the uh, family stress. Like, you probably put stress on your kids and your husband once you, if you don't get the, uh, the, the <laughs> breath work done in the morning. There's, you know, societal stress, which our kids are feeling a lot of right now, that I have to be this person or I have to do this or I have to be this type of person. You know, when it comes to stress, is it more of learning ways to cope and deal and make sure we're prepared for our triggers or is it trying to eliminate those things that stress us?
1: Mm. I think it's truly really a combination of both, mm-hmm. right? So there's going to be, um, the only thing that's guaranteed in life is that there's going to be stress, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. th- there's no way out of it. Um, but What we have control over is how we respond to it, how we react to it, how we uh, manage it. So it's really that chronic unmanaged stress that causes, you know, over 80% of known diseases right now. And so there are some things that we will not be able to control, right? If you have, let's say, um, a parent whose health is aging and you're needing to take care of them. That's obviously something you likely can't control. You might be able to, though, acknowledge that that is a stress in your life and cultivate some um, skills to be able to manage it. Right. So if you can. So it's a combination of looking at what are the things that are causing me stress that I can control, that I have a little control over. Well, if it's I, I wake up and I'm stressed out because I got to make the kids lunch and I got to do this, got to get everybody to school and then get back and get in the office. What could you do to minimize that chaos in the morning if the morning chaos is stressing you out while well, it's, you know, doing some prep work the day before, maybe before you go to bed, spending that extra time making the lunch, laying the clothes out, et cetera. But then you still can't necessarily control what's gonna happen on the way to school. Maybe one of your kids loses their mind, right? Maybe the teens get in a fight. Maybe, um, you know, maybe there's an accident and you're late. So if we can create structure in our life that helps us minimize things that are within our control, like prepping before leaving, right? And then cultivating skills to help us become more resilient to the stress that is unexpected and controlled, like the accident or the kids getting mad at each other, Um, which the breath, I'm just going to keep going back to the breath because it's the number one tool to get out of that. So in that moment of just chaos, right, pausing and taking five deep breath cycles, your reactivity then is going to be different. You're going to come from a more aware, restful response versus a reaction fly off the handle. Am I 100% there yet? No. You teach what you need to learn in this lifetime. I'm a firm believer in that. And so this is something on my journey that I'm continuing to learn in that, you know, if I set myself up for success and if I, you know, I mentioned, you know, the family knows when you don't get your meditation and well, an example happened. it was even maybe this week or last week where... These cars are just, you know, this guy's just taking his time. He's on his phone. He's blocking traffic. And I'm getting agitated back here. And kids are like, mom, it's like, "Well, I missed my meditation that, that morning. Right. So I think it's a combination of there are so many tools we have now with neuroscience and data supporting these practices for rewiring our nervous systems and rewiring our brain. And I'm living proof of that. Um, that we can take advantage of to become more resilient to life stresses,
0: but there, there there is a balance to that, though, because I totally agree with the kind of preemptive approach to knowing stress it, it triggers things like that. However, mm-hmm. if in an anxiety filled brain, especially high functioning anxiety you prepare for things constantly like you over prepare for things constantly like you have a meeting coming up that's supposed to be 15 minutes and you take a whole week to prepare for it and you have three <laughs> words like it's just i know i'm exaggerating right. i know i'm exaggerating but people who who live in that world understand what i'm saying yeah,
1: I get and it. Yeah. and they've done that take a
0: yeah exactly <laughs> so and and you know it's 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 funny how that kind of hides in high performers because people will say, "Oh man, you're so good at your job. You're always prepared." Like I would, it's like you don't understand what's been going through my head for the last thirty days. Like you don't know that. Um, and I may or may not be speaking from experience. Uh, you know, I'm not the guest on this show. I'm the host right now. But so, um, but when we're when we're talking about, you know, being proactive about distress, but the last thing we want to do, and I, of course, I don't want to to mangle your words. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the last thing we want to do is create more stress by trying to, you know, prepare for stress we're going to have. Like it's kind of a, a balance, a balancing act that you have, you mentioned it. You have to kind of train yourself. You have to be intentional. You have to learn to recenter yourself and, and think, okay, what am I, what am I doing over here? I got to come back here. And cause the last thing you want to do is like have somebody coming back to you and say, Maria, like, I don't know what you told me, but I, I, I I have more stress. I can't, I, and, and again, I guess it's all about that finding, working with, within yourself to find that balance to manage that stress.
1: Right. And I think it's, you know, we have this wisdom inside of us, Mark. We have the wisdom of what's going to naturally work for us and balance for us. But a lot of times we just need a guide to help bring it out. Right. And so, For someone, for example, who has a lot of anxiety, if we start with just a breath awareness practice, that's going to be really difficult for them because even the thought of just noticing the breath might be overwhelming. Or if it's a practice where we count, sometimes listening to someone count the breaths in and out, that itself will create anxiety in some people. So it's really important to tune into what works for the individual. And as an individual, Everyone listening probably right now can think about, OK, when have I been really, really calm and at peace lately? What was I doing? Who was I with? What was the temperature? You know, think about everything within that scene and then think about that same thing in the reverse when you were you really stressed and then look at what components of that environment with a peacefulness, right, can we pull into developing the practice? because? I really just encourage the audience that if you've tried something that doesn't work for you, maybe it's just not the fit or maybe you need to try it again. So I would suggest trying these, trying things a few times, right? But also know there's so many different options out there. And so, um, you know, for you running, you know, is is this therapy, right? It's this rejuvenation. It's this nurturing. You go into it with intention, which is, it's just huge. For others, you know, they don't want to run unless a bear's chasing them and I may or may not be one of those I don't know so it depends on the day you're kind of prompting me to want to start running again but um, to just have the confidence that there's wisdom inside of you and you know naturally what's going to work for you but unfortunately due to the conditioning and the pressure of society that gets kind of hidden and so there's tools we can use and there's guides you can leverage to help pull that wisdom out to then naturally come back to, okay, this is, this is what works for me. Cause we certainly don't want to, if we're creating a practice and that creates more stress in the person's life, then that is not the practice for them.
0: I, I totally get it. And, and just to ask you totally off, not off topic, but like is when you do go for a run, like do you run for, do you have to do like a certain time or a pace or do you just go and run like uh,
1: ah, good question. Um, so I haven't run consistently for quite some time, but I, I, got, I was at a point in my healing journey where I started to enjoy running. And I did a couple half marathons and I would find myself, um, you know, thinking, I just want to finish, right? But then it was all about, I got that guy right there. I got him, right? And then I would go a little, you know, then I would, so I'd be looking at if it was a race, other people and think, okay, I can clock with this guy. This guy's running barefoot in a half marathon. If I can't pass the barefoot guy, I got a problem, right? And so then I would use these little things to motivate me to go a little further. Um, that was, you know, about 10 years ago. Today, when I go for a run, it's a lot different. I mean, I, I do, I will find myself looking at the, the time at the end, Right whereas I used to look at it more during, right? Um, But I'm not as pace-focused anymore, and I never was, I'm not fast at all, right? So, um, but I look at it from the, the aspect or the intention of just what it's doing to the physical vessel, right? I mean, I can physically run. Like, there's a reason to run that I physically can, right? And to just get that, To get a sense of where I'm at fitness-wise, one of the best ways to do that is go do something you don't normally do, right? So if it's, for me, it's a run. If I go run, I can tell really quick how much I need to up the consistency in my cardiovascular uh, fitness routines. And so um, it's interesting. I'm thinking as I'm talking, which is why I'm a little... Well, the the only
0: reason I ask you is because there was a huge paradigm shift for me when I stopped looking at time pace length Mm -hmm. all that good stuff um you know because when i first got into running like i had a goal of mine i wanted to lose weight and i wanted to of course get better at running and every day i would like like it would at pace i knew i need to know my pace i need to know the time i need to know Mm -hmm. and um you know it wasn't until a shift that i made a couple years ago where it's like i'm just gonna go run and i'm gonna like i'm not gonna be too my breath isn't going to get too heavy. I'm not going to exert myself too much. I'm going to have a nice pace. And if I want to see a certain route, I'm going to run that route. If I want to stop, I'm going to stop. If I want to run more, I'm going to run more. If I want to push it at the end, I'm going to push it at the end. But I was that. I was just like you. Like at races, I was like, I'm catching that person. If I don't catch, if I don't catch that person, <laughs> then it's an unsuccessful race. And I think, I, you know, there might be a little bit of or not a little bit of a lot of you know analogies in here metaphors or similes or something I was taught in third grade English but um (laughs) where when it comes to mental health when it comes to wellness when it comes to any of the things that we're doing for and I'm air quoting people who can't see for ourselves the things we're doing for ourselves why are we thinking about how other people are doing it? Like, you know, the fact that you said you meditated for 25 to 30 minutes, immediately in my head, I'm like, well, I can't do that. And you ne- you've never challenged me. You never said, Mark, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. I could, in my head, I could be like, well, I could do five minutes. But no, I said, man, 25, to, I can't do, I immediately like had that comparison. Mm -hmm. Which I don't want to say it's the human psyche. It might be the human psyche. But again, it might just be where we are as a community when it comes to health and wellness, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to strength Mm. training, when it comes to anything like that. It's we have to find some sort of motivation, which in turn becomes competition. When Mm. the work you do is like you've said it plenty of times for myself, for yourself, keep it in.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, this um, dialogue, because I I hadn't really thought about that shift within my running. But I'm now reflecting, there's definitely, definitely been something. And I think it's also the fact that I shifted out of that being the thing, and decided, okay, well, these are the things that work for me. And now it's like a, it's like a smorgasbord, right? of (laughs) Options for, for moving. So for me, physical fitness is is wanting to really honor the vessel, right? This physical vessel that we're in in this lifetime, but also wanting to liberate the energy. And so anxiety, tension, stress, that can become trapped in the physical form at that. And then that manifests as physical tension, right? It manifests as different dysfunction and diseases. So if I'm constantly in a state of how can I energetically move this through? Just like the example that you gave of prepping for, you know, the meeting for a week, right? That that energy that you're just, you know, putting out there to, in return, you know, spend a little energy to give the talk, right? All that energy the week before, just like all the energy we spend worrying and giving a shit about what other people think, right? The time we spend worrying, okay, you know, my mom's on a on a trip to, uh, back to Minnesota where I'm from right now. And so I caught myself earlier this week worrying about, you know, I'm, I'm not traveling before my sister is. Did she get the wheelchair? Did she, you know, it's like it's total wasted energy because I can't control that. But through these practices, we can cultivate enough self-awareness to where we can catch ourselves and say, okay, I don't need to be positing all that energy out there because it's not going to nourish me. And so if we look at our movement and our fitness as an opportunity to nourish the body right as an opportunity to strengthen this vessel that we're inhabiting in this lifetime and as an opportunity to move energy emotion experiences traumas through and out of the body because we're not meant to hold on to them just like we're not meant to hold on to our breath what happens when we hold on to one right so we're meant to just experience and let go so so yeah, I, I, I ch- yeah,
0: <laughs> we went all over the place there. But I do want to take some time. I do want to take some time to talk about take take uh, take five. I want to talk about take, take five. five. And yeah, like take um, five breaths. Uh, yes, my <laughs> my uh, my first question, of course, is. Do I have to drink white wine with fish and red wine with steak? Is that a, do I have to do? No, I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. That is not, that's not, I'm not going to ask that. (laughs) I mean, you can answer if you want to, but kind of explain the take five methodology, where it came from, all about mindful wine tasting. Is that, and and I do want to answer that. Like, what is, are you a red or a white drink? You say Chardonnay. Are you, are you white all the way?
1: No, I actually I drink more red than in do okay, white. Good. So okay, I actually my- don't drink that much Chardonnay anymore. There, but there, there was go. a time in my life that I drank too much of it, which is why the, the podcast is, mm-hmm. is called that kind of a fun poke and a reminder to mm-hmm. me. Um, so yeah, take five is about, really stems from starting with five. Like if you if you can't move your body for a half an hour, tell yourself five minutes. Everybody can find five minutes in a day. If you can't meditate for a half an hour start with five right and if you can't do that take five slower than normal deeper than normal breaths to the count of five inhale five exhale and it changes everything so that's kind of the genesis of the take five brand and so um you know with the methodology within the mindful consumption it's a five-step process and it starts with becoming present through the breath so whether or not we're um coming into a conversation like this where we want to be present going from work to home to be present for our family, or be present with that which we're about to consume, like a glass of wine, starting by leveraging the bath to become present is step one. And then from there, becoming intentional. So actually step two is asking yourself, what's my intention behind the sip? What's my intention behind the taste, behind the ice cream, behind the run? Like if, if we just pause enough to ask the question, what's my intention behind this? Like you mentioned, you do with your running, it changes everything. And in some cases, that might mean, you know, what I'm not going to have a glass of wine tonight because my intention is to fall back on old habits to numb, versus really wanting to just enjoy the flavors and enjoy it with the food pairing, like this Pinot with salmon with some. Um, <laughs> doesn't always have to be white with white with the uh, white with fish. So, I, I
0: um, appreciate that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, and then we go into admiring what we're about to consume or those who we're about to converse with, right? And um, then step into the exploration, which is the next uh, process. So if it's food or drink, it's really the smells, the taste, all of the senses become involved and that just heightens the experience. And then the last step is reflection. Um, Just, you know, how did it leave you? Did you enjoy it? And what can you be grateful for about it? And so that's kind of a five-step process that can be really transformational. I know it has been for me personally, with food and alcohol consumption, but it can be applied to anything and everything. And so Take 5 really is about becoming more conscious about our consumption and learning ways to manage our stress and our anxiety and truly about health empowerment. So we have the power to become more conscious and to stop outsourcing our health and start insourcing it. And meditation is a huge key for that. And the breath is. So that's key to all my teachings and coaching work.
0: I love it I um i I I wasn't always a wine drinker, and um I have learned to enjoy a glass of wine here and there. Um, and what i'm I was very happy to learn is that a expensive bottle of wine does not necessarily mean it's a good bottle of wine. Um, tastes are different um, and that is. Uh, I'll be honest, my favorite bottle of wine, I think is $11 and 99 cents. And, um, it's such a good, I'm, I'm a, a cab person. So I don't know why mm-hmm. I just told you any of that, but that it is what it is. But <laughs> so, um, thank, I appreciate that. And, you know, there was one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you plug how, how to get in contact with you. So, cause you know, yoga has been on the back of my mind since you mentioned it. And, um, <laughs> but like there is where I live there's all these yoga studios popping up. Um, and of course yoga is offered at the gym, every gym. And then you see, um, uh, of course, hot yoga is, is a big thing now. Um, naked yoga. There is, is it, is it goat goat yoga? yoga. Yeah. Goat yoga. (laughs) Um, so do you, subscribe to any of the like what do you think about when you when like you see all these different are you the traditionalist you're like hey let people be people
1: (laughs) so the western approach to yoga is totally different than you know its originating form I mean even if we look at the word it truly just means union it is a way to take this physical vessel and take this spiritual being that we are and the monkey mind, and get those in alignment, and get those in a space of true communion. And so it's such a powerful tool. And so um, there's so many different styles now in the Western world, specifically to fitness, right? And so I come at yoga from the lens of mental wellness, even though some of the yoga I practice is uh, more f- more physically Um, intensive. So I teach a style, my morning classes, I have a, they're called rise and shine. And we do, um, it's a combination of high intensity interval training and yoga postures, but they're done, the high intensity intervals are done in a way where they're softer and easier on aging joints um, to be more mindful for the body. And everything's about releasing anxiety and releasing stress energetically. So, so I would say I entered the yoga world from a fitness perspective initially because the breath work that I mentioned earlier I didn't even realize it was yoga when I when I started doing had no clue it was way before I discovered it and I was going to a boot camp class that that ended up being a yoga class and then I'm like hey this breathing stuff is what I do so that I don't pass out I didn't know you could do it with exercise and that started me on this whole trajectory. So I think its it just goes down to the individual. What floats your boat? What makes you feel amazing? If it makes you feel amazing and is truly nourishing, because there's some things that make us feel amazing that aren't nourishing, yeah. right? Good to point. Touché. Touché, yes. Yeah. So if it makes you feel amazing and it is nourishing, then do it. If it's naked or if it's hot or whatever, go for yeah. it.
0: I love that answer. So... Maria, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How can people connect with you online? How can they learn more about what you're doing? How can they get to know the real Maria if they were to find you online?
1: So my website is take5.health. So rather than .com, it's .health, just to remind you that it's really about empowering it. Um, On all of the different social platforms, I'm on uh, Instagram as well as LinkedIn and Facebook, and it's at take5health, no dot. Um, the podcast is accessible through those channels or directly through chakrasandchardonnay.com. And
0: And like I'd say all the time, you can actually pause the show right now and go into the show notes and find those links. Maria, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Keep doing what you're doing. And I mean, I I learned a lot. I hope my listeners learned a lot. But uh, it was very great having this conversation with you today and take care of yourself, okay?
1: Likewise. Thanks so much, Mark.
0: Thank you as always for listening to the 6am run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like, and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6amrun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.